Hello and welcome to episode 128 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. My name is Jeremy Dixon, your host as always. And with me today, we got the whole crew is back together. Got Ricardo here. Hey, Jeremy. Got Brandon here. Brandon, say hello to the people. Jeremy and the people. What's up? I love it. Love it. Hey, you can listen to this podcast anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We're on Spotify, Apple, TuneIn. Stitcher or whatever other podcast platforms are out there. If you could like, rate, review, share, all that good stuff, we would appreciate it. Five stars only, please. Um, guys, how you doing? It's been a minute since we've all been uh, together in the same room. I'm doing well, Jeremy. I'm doing really good. It's a beautiful day out there. No rain on the way down here today. Made That's it like good. in 35 minutes. Can you believe that? Yeah, it seems like things are kind of dead out there, but I'm excited to be back, man. Really happy to be here. I and I, I really appreciate and I loved the last episode with uh, Ricardo. Oh, thank you. And his lovely wife. Yeah, yeah. Gina, Gina. did a great job. It was good. Yeah. I got, I got some feedback actually from my neighbor. We love feedback. Yeah, I got some feedback from my neighbor. I saw him this weekend, and he was like, "Oh, I listened to to your podcast with your aunt." Uh, he's like, I, "I thought it was really good." He's like, "Sounds like," he's like, "I imagine that." having this injury especially at like the age you had it at would be really really rough i mean it'd be rough at any age for any person but like it seemed like you had a really good support system around you like between your your family and extended family and everything i was like yeah man we did yeah everybody came lucky yeah everybody showed up super lucky i mean there's and there's people that don't have that so i i definitely feel blessed that uh yeah that i've been able i mean to be able to buy a house, you know, as a result of the the accident, like with, with whatever uh, little bit of a payment I got for a payout I got from insurance or whatever, you know, that that really helps. So uh, I'm definitely more more blessed than a lot of people that, that suffer this injury. So well, it's all about gratitude, Jay. I agree. Out man. here, I'm I'm grateful. Spreading the you love. Know, and Always. But, you know, the thing is, is that not every day is uh, bunnies, popcorn, and lollipops for you right so yeah no it's, it's what not. you make of it right and you've uh, done a really good job of keeping a, a good balance jeremy i mean because uh, life's hard it, you know even for able-bodied people you know life can be really shitty you know for everybody but it's how you deal with those with that shit you know i like the way uh gary v says it he says it's raining outside but it's sunny as fuck in my mind now you know the way i look at it huh. is Ricardo but my dad Gary used to say, my dad Brandon. used to say, be careful what you wish for, yeah. you know, because you may just get it, right? And the other thing he used to say is, you always think the grass is greener on the other side, dude. but when you get there, it's just fucking grass. It's just a sense. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, I've always, like, I mean... Since the beginning, is like, obviously, I have bad days, right? Like, I put on a good front for the show, and, I mean, I'm I'm generally, like, a happy-go-lucky, you know, try to, like, look at the positive side of things person, and there are dark days in this, with this injury. I mean, there's dark days for you guys just living life, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, it doesn't matter, but I just always go back to, you know, if you're not going to be you know, it's better to be happy than pissed off all the time. It's easier to be happy than pissed oh, yeah. off all the time. Yeah, exactly. Like you can find joy in little things, right? Like there's, there's always like just that, hmm. you know, I mean, I, I like, especially with how close I came to death, like how close anybody with this injury does, 
and you know the fact that I'm still sitting here talking to Brandon with one kidney and <laughs> Ricardo coming down and like you know we we've reached you know had a, a we've come together and really become close over the last year oh yeah or two shoot. and it's just you know it's there's lots of things to be grateful for man so I really want to want to push that message I think after you know just yeah well I think especially the with the guest you have on this uh this week yeah so I got to talk to a guy named Dane Cross uh from his Instagram is Cross Family Adventures him and his wife and they're two adorable children uh, and he has a spinal cord injury suffered a spinal cord injury at the age of 20 i think we're the same age actually because he yeah, said that he's yeah uh, yeah when, when when you talked to him about that and i was listening to that part i was thinking jesus christ you know he was playing um uh rugby you know touch rugby right, right? and anthony my son you know is 30 now almost was uh, playing rugby up at western washington university and um, I remember going to the games and, you know, they played football in high school and stuff like that. But rugby is a totally different sport. But I yeah. remember when they were out there, you know, hitting each other and getting tackled, you know, no pads, no nothing. And have you guys ever been like in, uh, you know, when I was younger, um, my in Germany, my, my, my family owned a farm that slaughtered you know, cows and they would hang them up on the racks on the chains. Sure, I've and, seen it happen. Yeah, and then they slide them down and the, you'd hear the big slabs of beef hit each other. That's what it sounded like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, when these guys would hit each other, you know, and I always was like worried about him hurting himself. Well, he should you have know? been. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Our and friend, you know, another friend of the podcast, uh, Simon Kalkovecchia, he, uh, same thing. He was, he went to Australia after high school mm -hmm. just to travel and he, he had played rugby up here. And, like, I guess in high school, maybe like in a, I mean, a he went there for a rugby something. match. No, he, was living there playing rugby yeah. like semi-pro rugby basically oh, okay. in australia and a guy did like a they were in a scrum yeah they were in a scrum and he got that's how he got injured they had to airlift him back from from australia it was just it was a crazy situation oh, yeah. but yeah he, he was on our podcast many yeah a couple many years episodes ago. ago yeah he I actually just talked to him yesterday though so he yeah, might shout out on. simon might be back on soon the but, adventures of yeah, Frank that, and Mustard. That's, that's definitely that's a dangerous sport, man. Yeah, yeah, and, and you don't think it would be, right? You know, but I guess you know it's an ordinary day, like I always say, right? It's an ordinary day when things happen. Yeah, yeah. Know? So anyway, Dane Cross was injured in a yeah, like you said, in a touch rugby game that never should have been hurt. And twenty-one-year-old, you know, kid at, at university and um, just having a good time and got injured and and just kind of. You know, it, it was it was a tragic accident, but he was able to really, uh, you know, now he's doing amazing things. He's, he's married with two kids. Like, he he uh, had a great story about um, when his wife was, wanted, they were talking about having another baby, and he was like, well, I don't know about having to get up. All the sleepless nights are, are tough to deal with, but... Uh, his wife just looked at him like, you don't get up to deal with anything. So he's like, yeah, but I got to wake up. Like, uh, you know, it's not, not, not the easiest thing ever. <laughs> but, you know, that's kind of funny when I heard him talk about that, right? Because Gina was like super mom, right? So she always took care of the boys when they were little. But I remember being woken up and I was thinking, how does she do this, man? How does she get up, go to work, take care of these kids in the middle of the night? Just me being woken up would exhaust oh me. man you're yeah. lucky dude yeah my but wife Gina would my, never let me do it my wife would can sleep through anything literally 
and I'd, I'd just hear, I'd be hearing the kid crying. I had already woke up once. I'm like, she's going to wake up and like go because I already went the last time. And the fucking kid would just be there crying. I'm like, I can't handle it anymore. I'll just go do it. <laughs> so I was mostly the one waking up in, at nighttime. Shots fired, Carmen. Yeah. Like, I, I she like knows what's be, up. She does, man. She does. She does yeah. so much. So it's Brandon's not even like be that. on the next podcast apologizing for this. <laughs> this <laughs> no, but, but Gina, Gina always got up. I mean, I just, I just remember being woken up, you know. And now it's the opposite. She was that up. before or after you talked her into being a stay-at-home mom and, and um, that was before. turning her back that was on, on God's work? No, that was before. That was before. <laughs> yeah, because she she worked all the way. You know, Dom was born and. Yeah, she was still working. That's awesome. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. yeah, so you know, Dane Crowd there. So his whole thing, they they do a lot of traveling, and obviously with the pandemic, they were that was put on hold. But they still travel around Australia, and he basically works now as a, an accommodation, making sure that that things are uh, like whatever the Australian version of the ADA is, making sure they're accessible. I guess accessibility um, would be the right word there, uh, and he, yeah, so he like looks at new Just buildings like before they're built. For... A consultant for yeah, for an accessibility uh, company, and they you know make sure like new buildings are going to be able to be accessed by people with disabilities, um, like the beaches there, because like beaches are a huge thing. Yeah, um, and then travel like if you're if you're traveling there he wants to make it so that people can enjoy Australia when they come visit because he's been to Europe and Hawaii. I mentioned Hawaii is one of their favorite places to travel. Um, but they're able, seeing what is going on in all these other countries made him say like, why are we so far behind the times when we're like a relatively new country, right? Like we, you know, we have, we're, we're uh, as far well, as countries go. So. I'm thinking now, like after you guys were talking about, uh, you know, traveling on airplanes and accessibility and how difficult it is to travel on airplanes. I'm thinking, man, we should have pinned uh, Elon Musk and his 54 billion to like figure out how to retrofit airplanes yeah, to like maybe make some sort of um, uh, like. I don't know what what the word is, you know, like when you make something that accommodation. Accom- well, no, like you make something that that will like fix a problem, and so we could just like it would just turn a first class seat into. Well, they do. Right. They can do that. They Wheelchair can, accessible. Yeah. So what they all they have to do. Well, they talk to the Boeing guy here. No, all they got to do is because all those seats are on tracks. They just take just those pop out, them out, pop them out, put the cleats in. Jeremy could wheel in. Well, that's like, that's down. my question. Yeah. And then they I put wonder... the seats underneath instead of the wheelchair. Yeah. Well, my yeah. question is, what? I wonder what percentage of first class seats are sold on every flight, and you know, you could make those be the last two because I know there's not a wheelchair. Well, per, a dude, don't get me don't don't get so, me wrong, Jeremy. Like they're gonna charge you the price of two. Oh, I would be happy to. But, I would be you know, happy I think what the real that. problem is is that have you ever seen an airport? with a plane stall that has a handicap painted on it. That's the problem. <laughs> hey. <laughs> you got to get to the terminal with the big handicap Yeah, we're going to have to. Logo um, yeah. Painted on the tarmac. That's the airline that yeah. you want to be on. So. <laughs> well, hey, let's uh, let's get to Dane, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more on the other side about uh, accessibility <laughs> travels and, and things like that. So uh, here you guys go. I hope you enjoy it. We'll be right back. 
All right. This week on the Live to Walk Again podcast, we are super excited to visit with Dane Cross, who uh, is a spinal cord injury survivor, part of a, a young family wheeling through life, uh, according to their Instagram on Cross Family Adventures. Dane, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thanks very much for having me, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, I'm so, so excited to be able to visit with you from, uh, from down in Australia, man. This is great. So, you know, Dane, for anybody that doesn't already know how you were injured, can you kind of tell us that story and, and what exactly happened? Yeah, sure. So it was actually 21 years ago uh, and I was 21 at the time. So I'm sort of at my halfway point where I've spent uh, as much time in a chair as I have uh, uh, walking around, I guess you say it. Um, I was playing touch football, which is a little bit like rugby league without the tackling. Um, And uh, I, so it's supposed to be a non-contact type sport, or at least they're not one that involves any type of uh, you know, physical contact uh, other than the touch uh, football rules where, you, where you, you know, we're playing touch rules. Uh, anyway, so I was playing football and um, had, had the ball and I dived to score a try and reached out with my arm, flew through the air, ran into a guy's legs with the top of my head and, um, yeah, broke my C5 vertebrae. Oh man. So, um, where, you know, what level, so what level injury are you? C5. C5. Okay. Yeah. That's what, that's a, I'm four or five. So I think I'm a little higher than you, but, um, you know, how long did you go through rehab and all that stuff? I'm, I'm kind of curious to find out like what the rehab process is like in Australia versus, you know, what I experienced in the United States. Yeah, sure. So, um, rehab for me was, approximately seven months um but that was short i think for for a lot of people uh in australia uh, going through the spinal unit i had a lot of um family support around me at the time and the the rehab process was i guess shortened in some respects in that in that way because i was able to go home and and I guess continue my rehab from home with with the support of my you know, parents and um, and friends at the time. So yeah, it was. It, I guess in comparison for a, a quadriplegic uh, in Australia, it's more like twelve months the rehab process in hospital. Oh wow! So yeah, I got injured in nineteen ninety eight. So I guess like just before you. Um, but, and you know, it was like four months and we were, you know, you're out after four months for the most part. So, which is, I mean, which is a lifetime compared to what a lot of people are getting these days, at least here in the United States. So, um, that's great that at least they were, were, you know, working with you guys for a little longer down there after such a traumatic. I think it yeah, it was fairly intensive as well. You know, we had the occupational therapists around us, the physiotherapists, and we do that daily uh, and, and obviously all the nursing and doctor support that we needed as well. Yeah. So how, you know, you talked a little bit about that you were able to kind of transition to your home and, and doing a lot of stuff from there as far as rehab goes. Like, what was that process like going back? I mean, were you still living at home with your parents at the time of your injury or did you have to move back in with them? Like how, how did 
kind of going back to everyday life outside of the hospital go for you? Yeah, so I was at the time I was studying at university uh, to be a physical education teacher at the time. And um, yeah, I was living out of home, living down the Gold Coast in Queensland and um, had my injury down the coast. And after all the hospital, the rehab, moving back home uh, independently wasn't probably where I needed or wanted to be at that time. So, yeah, I did move back into my family home with my parents. Uh, had to do some fairly significant modifications to the family home. Um, and so that was probably the, the, the biggest hurdle and the, and the, the first step to, uh, to, I guess, gaining some sort of independence uh, yeah, and getting back out into the community. Um, as, yeah, so it was... It, the transition process was, again, made easier because I got, had a good support network around me at that time. Um, but again, when I say easy, it was made easier, but it wasn't easy. You know, you're getting used to life, a different kind of life. And I don't want to put it, um, I don't usually put a negative spin on it. So, and, and so I put it in a positive way where I say that, you know, my injury was life changing, but it wasn't importantly, it wasn't life ending. Right. Now that, that's a good, that's a good way of looking at things for sure. Um, you know, I was wondering, so, you know, you're, you have a beautiful family, like, uh, you know, following you guys on Instagram and, and seeing some of your YouTube videos and stuff, uh, and following along with some of your adventures is, is awesome. Uh, when, you know, when did you meet your, your beautiful wife, Stacy? Yeah. So, um, after my injury, uh, probably six or seven years after my injury, we met at work, um, and I was in 2007. Uh, so Stacy and I met at, uh, yeah, we worked in the same workplace. Um, Stacy was in HR, human resources. I was in the grants unit and, uh, yeah, this beautiful lady obviously caught my eye and, uh, I turned on my best charm and eventually won her over about, uh, you know, three years later, I think it was, I think we, um, three or four years later, around 2010, we sort of started to, um, engage romantically, put it that way. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, and so when, when did you guys actually get married? <laughs> we got married in, and I'll get, get in trouble here if I don't remember, 2014. Okay. Uh, it was after the, so we had our, our first son, Ashton, in 2013. So we, so we went through the, the IVF process with that, and it's a grueling process, and, you know, you don't want to wish it on, on your partner. Um, but it's the process that we had to go through. Um, so it's quite tough um, on Stacey especially. Um, and we had, our, we had our first boy, Ashton, in 2013, and... Um, yeah, we got married about a year later. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I was wondering, so, you know, I know that um, I always think about this from like for women who have spinal cord injuries, you know, and then they have a baby. I always think like that must be very kind of nerve wracking. Like, did you did you have any apprehension as a man in, in, with a spinal cord injury 
about having children. Uh, I know obviously you guys must have really thought about it to go through the, the IVF process and all of that, but um, you know, was what was that kind of decision like for, for the two of you uh, with, you know, with you having this kind of catastrophic injury that, that you might not be able to do everything that, that a father can do or, you know, helping with the babies and changing diapers in the middle of the night, things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I had, as when I had my injury, the I think one of the first questions I asked the doctors were, was, can I still have children? And I was 21. I wasn't sort of thinking about settling down and having a family at that stage, but it was always something that was important to me, I, I felt, you know, personally. And so one of the first questions I asked was, can I still have children? And um, you know, without knowing the exact process or, or what that would mean, I always had it in, in my mind that I would like to be a father at some stage. And um, so obviously then, you know, 10 years down the track or, or, or longer, Stacey and I started talking about you know, having children and we did have those discussions. Um, fortunately, Stacey was as eager as I was to, to become a parent um and so we sort of just just made it work um and and a lot of the responsibility obviously falls upon stacy one of the uh, one of the one of the long-standing jokes we have or, or or at least uh one of the one of the digs that stacy likes to have at me is when um yeah we talk about having another child that you know, we're probably past that stage now but Whenever that came up, I would be like, "Oh no, I don't. I, I I don't think I can handle the sleepless nights." But where in actual fact, when I go to bed, I hop into bed and I stay in bed. It's Stacy that's the one that's getting up to the babies. And she, what what do you mean you got sleepless nights? You're not the one getting up. Uh, but anyway, so um, yeah, there there were like a number of um, you know. Yeah, the kids you know, interrupting your sleep and and that's probably the the toughest part i reckon you, you know you don't get your, your full night's rest and so it all becomes exhausting and a bit a bit much but you know in terms of um caring for our for our uh, children when they were born i was you know made an effort to be really present while i couldn't be the one changing their diapers or their nappies as we call them here um I would I would come into the room and and be present while that happened, um, and so yeah we we sort of we did it but we did it a little bit differently. Uh, that's very cool. That's very cool. Um, you know, so you guys are, you know, I love the name Cross Family Adventures because it really sums up. I mean, you guys are are doing incredible stuff all the time. Looks like you guys are having a blast. And, you know, I've seen, you know, pictures of you guys at the Eiffel Tower, you know, sailing, and uh, I, I know you went indoor skydiving, which seems very cool. Um, you know, and, and I did notice a couple of places I saw um, just on your IG uh, page and, and a little bit on, on YouTube, it seems like you guys are really committed to, you know, access and inclusion kind of in all areas of society. Uh, and that's really important to you. When did you kind of go down that road and say, hey, we're going to, we're going to fight for, you know, and become advocates for, for people that are, I guess, kind of traveling and that they can enjoy all kind of aspects of, of, a, of an area of a, of a, you know, like in Australia or whatever, wherever the case may be. 
Yeah, it's funny. I think it probably kicked off after our um, trip across Europe because we were traveling in areas that are so much older in terms of infrastructure in than Australia is. So Australia, relatively new country by age of countries terms, but the yeah the places in Europe that we were able to go to and see and do, we felt that Europe was ahead or streets ahead of where Australia was. And even though Australia being a newer country, you would imagine that you know, they would have sort of more accessible um, features and, and everything else. But um, what, we, what we found was the opposite. So we started to think, you know, if this can be done in Europe, why can't it be done in Australia? And, and, and I, I understand that um, you know, the United States is the same with the ADA in place and that's made some good changes, progressive changes um, to, to becoming, you know, to having communities more inclusive and accessible. Um, and Australia's moved in that direction and probably even more so currently, uh, I'm finding out through my line of work, which I'll talk about in a sec, um, that you know, we're, we're progressing towards that. And so we made the decision that you know, we're, we're just a family wanting to live as normal life as possible. I mean, I put normal in um, inverted commas because, you know, what is, what is normal these days, you know? You, you, so, yeah, we're, we're living a life that is um, just like or just as much like anyone else's. Uh, you know, we're out there, we're, we're travelling around, we both work, we've got a family, we've got a mortgage. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it just feels like the barriers to my, you know, to my disability are society's barriers. So the, the inability to access a building, that isn't my issue, that's the building's issue. Uh, and, and so it's up to us to, advocate for equal access um, and that's where we sort of just started to put it out there and and I guess there's two sides to it where you know it's it's up to us to advocate for it but we're also putting ourselves out there as an example of a of a family living with disability and I guess providing some sort of Inspiration isn't really the word I like to use, but uh, I guess encouragement to others in a similar position to go out and do the same thing or, or try similar things. Oh, I, I love that. And I, I think you, you really do provide that. And yeah, if you don't want to call it inspiration, that's fine. But I, I feel like it is for sure. Um, you know, that's what, what kind of drew me to you guys and, and to, to reach out to see if we could, could do this interview. So um, yeah, and, and I guess real quick, so what, what is it that you do uh, for for work now? Yeah, yeah. so um, I moved on from the workplace that I met Stacey at, and so I now work as what they call an access consultant, so full-time doing consulting work around access and inclusion. So I'm doing things like building audits, so we go into a building and, and audit the facility there and say, you know, this isn't accessible, this isn't, this is, this is. Uh, uh, we also uh, audit building plans. So we're able to make an assessment on the accessibility of a building based on the plans before it gets built. 
um, but also doing advocacy type work. So uh, you know, pushing for change in communities, working with local governments, working with state governments to um, develop more accessible and inclusive policies and practices. Um, you know, things like accessible beaches um, and uh, let me think of another example. We're doing some uh, work in recreational spaces for some of the councils around the place. So we're, we're making external rec places, spaces. So, you know, parks and um, conservation areas more accessible for people to be able to go out and enjoy some, some of nature. Um, and, and also delivering awareness training to businesses and organizations. So disability awareness training, we go in and, um, and, I, and I think that's part of why I get passionate about, passionate about it is because change can be made so easily. Um, and sometimes it just comes through awareness. And by delivering that disability awareness training that we do, uh, we, we sort of develop that change. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that, that's incredible. Um, what would you say, I, I guess, what's been the biggest roadblock for in this new kind of career path that you're down with getting, I guess, governments and, and cities and things to, to kind of say, hey, we need to change this? Um, yeah, well, well, yeah, what's been the biggest roadblock to that for you so far that you would you would pinpoint it could the, the big the biggest roadblock is probably old school mentality i think that i mean people these days you they are more accepting they are more open to inclusion you know whether that be with people with disability it, but it's also of you know other other races other sexuality sexual sexual preferences whatever it might be that there is a kind of a, a more openness to, to inclusion um but the biggest roadblock i guess it, are those that still hold on to that that old school mentality i'll call it where you know, it, it's an attitude that attitude is the roadblock um Whereas those people and those organisations who have that can-do and welcoming and accepting attitude, um, they're the ones that are easiest to deal with. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I could definitely see that. You know, switching gears back kind of to the travel aspect of, um, of, your, of your family and of what you've experienced, um, kind of going back to like the obstacle thing, what, what would you say the biggest obstacle right now is, or I guess pre-COVID maybe, I don't know how much you've been able to travel outside of Australia since COVID hit, but um, you know, what's the biggest obstacle to travel for someone with a disability and, and maybe some tips or advice that, that you would give to so, someone specifically in a wheelchair with dealing with a spinal cord injury when, when you're getting ready to go out and travel and, and you're, you're making plans, like what, yeah, what's some advice you would give to someone looking into that? Yeah, okay. So I think um, the biggest hurdles, uh, when you want to do the long-haul flights, they're probably the hardest ones. Um, airline travel in general is probably the, the hardest uh, thing you know, for, for someone to do. It's um, 
yeah, obviously you, you you and I both know that um, you, know, you can't stay in your own wheelchair when you're in a plane. So you've got to go through this whole process and rigmarole of, of being transferred out of your chair and into an airplane chair and, and into the, and then from down the aisle and, and out of that chair and into the airplane seat. So it's, that that process in itself, process in itself is, is difficult and you know taxing on you know, people's you know, emotions and and physical um, uh, I guess well-being in some sense. Um, so airline travel is a hurdle, and I'd love to see you know, some changes in that industry to enable more and greater equitable access. Um, but in terms of you know travel tips, you know on those long haul flights that I've done, we've broken the flight up, so we've had an overnight stay halfway along the the journey. For example, to Europe, we stopped in um, Korea, South Korea, uh, overnight, and just sort of gave the body a rest and and went back for the the second half of the journey. Um, and it also enabled me to you know do the do the bowel routine and and have a shower and and that in between so that there weren't any mishaps or incidents on the plane. Um, traveling in, more locally or, or even abroad, um, traveling light or as light as possible um, is a challenge. So hiring equipment, I've found, is, is a good tip that it, um, it just helps lighten the load, lighten the number of bags that you, you need to bring along. Um, but it's about finding that balance because you don't want to be caught short. You don't want to be um, you know, caught short on medication, caught short on supplies, continents, supplies, whatever it might be that you need. Um, so bringing enough for you to... Uh, comfortably stay at, at, at your destination with a little bit of spare or uh, I guess contingency plan in case in case you need to stay longer for whatever reason maybe a weather event maybe the the flight gets delayed and um, so having having enough supplies there to last you for a couple more days if needed um well I guess what other tips um I guess the other risk with hiring equipment is probably that it's not the right equipment. So um, phoning ahead, you know, getting photographs of the, the equipment that you're hiring, but also the places that you're going. So asking the accommodation providers to send photographs of, of the hotel room in which you're staying. Um, the, the, you know, and not just the room, but also the front door. And, and can you get into the resort or the hotel itself? Um, all of those things, um, hotel providers should be able to provide to you these days. And we're, that's sort of part of the advocacy work that we do, whereby if we don't have that information or if the hotel doesn't have that information, we explain to them why this information is important to us. Okay. Uh, I was thinking... Um... You know, for yeah, if you're traveling to another country um, on a plane, how do you are you able to transfer out of your chair like into a, just a regular seat in a in a vehicle, or do you have to have a wheelchair accessible vehicle uh, to get you around? And are those hard to come by when you're when you're traveling to other countries? Yeah, surprisingly, well, so no, I I don't. Generally, I don't transfer into um, 
a, a regular vehicle. Um, I can't independently anyway. When I've got two people, I can get sort of lifted in, in and out. Um, and and we actually did that in Hawaii. We we hired a, a Jeep Wrangler. It was um, you know one of the probably the most inaccessible vehicle for a quad to get into. But you know it it had a, it had the no roof, so we had to give it a go. We just wanted to drive around Hawaii with our well I've got lack of hair but I was gonna say with our hair with the wind in our hair uh, but um yeah we Stacy's sort of she's pretty strong um and um she and and determined so she makes things happen um whether we you know, whether it's accessible or not you know we, we we climb staircases and or get into Jeep Wranglers where we where we um wherever we go but um in terms of accessible vehicles, though, we do hire them where possible. Um, accessible transport is uh, one thing that can be a challenge in some locations. Uh, in Australia here, uh, if you don't have an accessible vehicle, we do have um, taxis or cabs uh, that you know, in many, in almost all locations, I think that there are accessible cabs to get around in. Um, but when we've traveled, we've used um, where we can accessible vehicles. So London was a great example actually, where any taxi, those, those black taxis that um, get around London, uh, you can just wait on the footpath and, and holler a cab over. It doesn't need to be a specific type. You don't need to book it just wave them down and, and all of them I fit into um, quite easily. So that was really great. It was, it was encouraging and fun um, just to be able to, to, to not have to wait or book for a book a cab. Um, the other thing that we found traveling abroad, which got us around the, the towns and locations that we've been in are the hop on, hop off, hop on, hop off bus tours. So, they have them around the place and, and most of those buses have been accessible as well. So you kind of get to, to jump on the bus and, and go from location to location around that town um, and, and get to see it all without having to do any transfers in and out of a vehicle or anything like that. Oh, very cool. Very cool. And I know you brought up um, airplane travel and, and that kind of being one of the, the obstacles for a lot of people and and you know and that's been i've seen that on um on social media quite a bit lately they've been talking about how airlines are you know make people get out of their wheelchairs to to be on the plane when they when they probably could just take out a couple rows in the front but those are first class seats they don't want to lose that that revenue um have you ever and then also the other part of it is that yeah, they inflict insane amounts of damage on people's accessibility equipment, including their wheelchairs that have to then get taken down under the plane. Uh, have you ever run into any any damage from uh, in your travels uh, that the airlines have, have done to your your equipment? Uh, I've been pretty fortunate in that space. I, in saying that, I am quite careful with what I you know how I travel, how I pack um when when we get into a plane so i have lost a brake handle so i got an extension on my brake handle on my chair so that sort of that came off on one of the journeys to hawaii so i was 
um, without a left-hand break for a couple of days. But then I went downstairs to the hotel maintenance pe person and said, hey, can you can you work something up here? And, and they came up with a solution for it, which got me my break. Uh, my ability to break again, which was which was handy, um, but I, I've got away pretty easy. But I have seen those those terrible examples of airlines damaging equipment and wheelchairs, uh, and and I don't know. I don't really understand the reason or the cause behind it. And people, and I maybe it comes back to to an understanding thing where. If people understood the the importance that a wheelchair is to someone and the independence and mobility that it gives to someone, uh, they would take more care of it. Uh, you know, maybe they'd be stored in a, a secure part of the plane or a more safe part of the plane where it's free from uh, you know, risk of other bags falling on it and damaging it or it falling over in the plane during the flight itself. They'd, yeah, or, or then down on the ground where the baggage handlers are, they would understand that they need to take care of that equipment because it's important. It's very important to someone. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully they're listening to this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, kind of switching gears back to, um, you know, the accessibility of Australia versus other places. Like, where would you rank, I guess, Australia's accessibility in comparison to the other places abroad that you've traveled? I mean, is it pretty far down the list or, I mean, is it, it sounds like it's getting a little bit better with, with your help. Uh, but yeah, where, where would you rank it in, in kind of the hierarchy of, of, of the other places that you've traveled? Yeah, look, I've got to, I've got to be honest. I think you're right. That there is a lot of change happening here that it's getting better. Um, in, in city centres, in highly populated areas, uh, we are finding that you know, things are slowly changing and, and it is becoming you know, quite accessible. You know, you, if we can go down to the, to the beach at the moment and within, uh, within say, 10 kilometres of, of where we live at the moment, we're able to roll down on an accessible matting that's been rolled out onto the beach so we can spend time on the beach with our family um, with my little boys but um go go a couple of streets back from the main drag or the main populated centers there are issues in terms of you know just being able to get into the front door of the, of the local store or um there are barriers in some locations still in the in the trans in the public transport space. So uh, uh, I did mention the maxi taxis earlier. There's probably not enough of those to go around. You, you do you do wait, and I mentioned that how how nice it was in London not to have to book and wait for a cab. Um, that's sort of the, the norm here in Australia. You go to book and then you got to wait, um, and most buses are accessible, most trains are accessible, most train stations, um, but not all. So uh, the, I guess the, the important part, if anyone's considering coming to Australia, is to, to gather your information about your locations that you're going to visit and, and just ensure that those locations are, um, 
are accessible. I mean, we're not in the dark ages. We're, we're definitely um, progressive and moving towards a more inclusive society. So things aren't as bad as what they may be coming across as at the moment, but um, they're, they're definitely behind other countries like America, like um, Spain. Barcelona was a really accessible place to visit. Um, and so, yeah, there, there are definitely countries ahead of where Australia is currently at. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. Um, yeah, I just have a couple of questions left for you here, uh, Dane. I wanted to know, um, I did see on your um, Instagram and on your YouTube channel that you got the chance to use a, a device called the Freedom Tracks uh, for your wheelchair to be able to go out on the beach. And, you know, it looked like you were having the best time ever with your with your little boys and your and your wife out on the beach there. Um, you know, what was that like? Because I'm, I'm sure a kid from Australia, I mean, like you probably grew up on the beach and that's that's probably so important to you. So. And what, what was that like getting back out there and, and enjoying that time down by the water with your kids and your wife? Yeah, you, you nailed it. The, yeah, the, being on the beach is like an Australian pastime. You know, you, you, you grow up on the beach, you spend a lot of time there, or at least I did as a kid. And, and then even as I grew, I sort of spent a lot of time surfing or bodyboarding and, um, and, my whole time was you know based around when or my whole thought process was based around you know when's my next surf gonna be or, or when 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 am i going to be down the beach again um so getting down the beach or getting down onto the beach on the freedom tracks um was such a, a liberating type experience where you know i'd been on the beach before but you know how difficult it is for, to get wheelchairs to move on the sand. It's, it's basically impossible. So I'd been down to the beach and I'd, I'd been plonked in one spot and that's where I stayed. And so you, you, you become more of an observer uh, when you're at the beach rather than a participator. Uh, and so the Freedom Tracks, though, on the other hand, enabled that movement, freedom of movement on the beach. So pop my chair on top of those tracks and yeah, essentially I'm going anywhere. So um, went down, went down there that first trial and, and we like, we straight away, we knew we needed to get our hands on one of these pieces of equipment. So trialed at first and then, yeah. And then, and then got our own. So, and, and, and we use it regularly. Um, especially now that we've you know, moved closer to the, to the beach and um, yeah, it's it's definitely enables more interaction with the kids on the beach, and just gives you that freedom of movement to be able to go down to the water's edge and then and then come back up to your your little beach shelter and get some shade if that if that's what I want to do. But um, yeah, you just spend a whole day down there now. That, that's awesome. Yeah, it looked like you were having the, the yeah the best time ever down there. So I'm, I'm happy. I I think at the end of the video you were saying you were hoping to get one for yourself, and so you did actually. You ended up getting a Freedom Tracks. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, awesome. I think I think um, one thing that Australia has in place at the moment, which is uh, really great uh, for people with disability, is the NDIS. Um, while it does have its 
difficulties and, and things that it needs to iron out in terms of process and management, the, the ability to access funding through the government for things like that assistive technology to participate in recreation type activities uh, is, I guess, what sets Australia apart from a number of other countries where we were able to access that, that funding for those pieces of equipment and, and support that people with disability need as well. So um, that, that's definitely one thing that Australia has going for it in the disability space. That's great. That's great. Uh, yeah, I wanted to know also the the indoor skydiving. That looked like that was awesome. Like it looked like you had so much fun doing that. Um, have you ever gone skydiving out of a plane um, or just in the indoor skydiving area? You won't get me to jump out of a plane. <laughs> either. I don't blame you. <laughs> no, I, and, and that's just so... It is possible. Um, I have had some, some friends in chairs who have gone skydiving before. Yeah, uh, I know a couple guys that have done it too. And I, I, it seems crazy to me, but yeah, I just was, yeah. Yeah, I was curious when I saw you doing the indoor, yeah. if you had done nah, it. Nah, I, I'd rather stay close to the ground. Um, I, I think that the, even the indoor skydiving was... Um, it was an impulsive kind of decision. I, I didn't sort of plan it that much. I just thought, yeah, let's give this a go. I'd seen someone else um, doing it. And I thought, yeah, well, if, if, if they're going, if they've done it, let, let someone else. And I guess that's why we, what we do um, to try and, you know, I guess impart that same kind of message where, you know, that guy's done it. Let me have a go. That's very cool. So yeah, you re you recommend it then for uh, you, you had a good time doing that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The the guys that I fly on the on the Gold Coast were really helpful, and I and I think that I fly uh, around the place a little bit more. They're starting to spread worldwide. I know they're in New Zealand as well, um, but they're very inclusive in their process and and practice, and they they want to they want to give people a go. I mean, it's not it's not comfortable. You do get manhandled out of your chair and back into it. But, um, you know, when you're, when you've got that freedom of flight, it's, it's quite amazing. You know, it, you, you talk about hydrotherapy and, and being able to move in the water and it in the air, it, it, it was almost, yeah, it's like you were floating. That's cool. How long, how long were you up for, uh, doing it do you remember specifically it was a it was only a five minute experience i think it but it it felt like longer i must say like it, it was um it was it was it was just an experience where time seemed to slow down you were sort of hovering there in the air and i had confidence in the in the instructors around me to be able to look after me and um, you know, not let me fall or, or you know, whatever the risks are. So, so just put my trust in them and, and enjoyed it. That's too cool, man. Well, uh, Dean Cross, last question. What is your favorite spot to travel to that you've gone so far? Oh, okay. Uh, great, great question. Um, oh, look, We've been to Hawaii um, and then we went back there. So 
we've been there twice now um, and we'll probably be go, go, go back there again. And, and whether that's because it's such a cool kind of laid back location that um, has a bit of everything, you know, you, you can see some, some natural environment interact with you know, the ocean and, and get into the water, um, but also experience the, yeah, the, the, the key, the, the iconic locations, the, the shopping, the, the experience of it, uh, the Polynesian culture. Um, it, I, think, I think I'd have to say Hawaii, but that would be a family kind of decision. I think uh, Stacey really loves it. Um, so yeah, I, I'd, I'd, put, I'd say Hawaii, put, put me down for Hawaii. All right. What, you know, since you've been there a couple of times, what is the accessibility like there for people it's, in um, What I liked about it was that um, transport was relatively easy. So that there were, there were coaches that would take, so we went to do a luau, for example, the coach that takes you there, the, the bus, has a you know, big lift to lift you into the back end of it and and away you go you, you you travel with everyone else to the same luau you don't travel separately or have some type of um specialized vehicle it's just the bus that everyone else gets on so you feel included in that sense um the yeah, there are beach access points um to be able to get down onto the beach there there are um hotel transfers you know the bus that runs from the hotel to the to the airport um we were able to arrange for an accessible one of those and it's just it's just a welcoming kind of um attitude as well um that that you'd like to experience more often and when i say a welcoming attitude it's like if something isn't accessible let's let's make it work anyway but let's let's lift you up over this set of stairs or or let's get you in here and and get you participating uh i guess one other thing that i have noticed in terms of difference between uh, hotels that i've stayed with here in australia versus you know in hawaii um is that each one of them has a, a lift to get into the pool so a pool hoist to get into the pool, they're very uncommon here in, in Australia in any of the hotels and resorts. Um, whereas in Hawaii, I, 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 most hotels have them. So you're able to get into the water and get into the pool and, and that's something different for, for us. That's yeah, especially with little kids. That's got, yeah, it's gotta be a good time being able to get in the pool and play with the kids and stuff, so. It is, yeah, they loved it. That's awesome. Well, any uh, any trips planned? Have you guys been able to to travel since COVID hit, other than just uh, locally there? Or yeah, no, we, we've we've just traveled locally um, during COVID. Um, haven't been getting on any planes recently. Um, I guess I think our next trip is just going to be across the ditch, as we say, uh, over to New Zealand. Um, we haven't. I haven't been there myself. Stacy's been there a couple of times um so we we might go visit new zealand as part of our that'll be our next international trip at least cool cool well yeah we'll be watching uh through through your uh, social medias and, and i'll post all of those on the notes for the podcast so that people can follow along with you and stacy and the whole family and uh 
Yeah. Thank you again, Dane, for, for uh, joining me on the, on the show here. I, I can't thank you enough, man. It's great, great visiting. Thanks so much for, for having me. And yeah, we'll, we'll be sure to share all our adventures, uh, yeah, ups and downs and everything in between on the, the Cross Family Adventures platforms. Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll catch up again down the road. Maybe if you guys have, uh, you have some, uh, some updates on, uh, on travel accessibility for us down, down the road a ways. Absolutely. Always available. Thanks All for right. your time. All right, Dane. Thanks so much, man. Cheers. Yeah. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation with uh, Dane Cross. I thought when I started the uh, when I was getting on the Zoom call, I thought it was going to be Dane and Stacy, his uh, his amazing wife, and it was just him. So I had to recalibrate my questions just a little bit. But I thought I thought it went well. I thought uh, he he gave us a lot of very cool information. Um, I was happy that when I asked him about the indoor skydiving, if he'd ever gone outdoor sky, uh, regular skydiving, oh, hell and he no. was like, hell no, because <laughs> yeah. I, I thought the same thing, but a guy that I went to uh, South Puget Sound Community College with, um, uh, one day I was watching like the five o'clock news and this dude was out in Shelton at the skydiving place yeah. jumping out of an airplane I mean, Shelton sky I mean, skydive Toledo death wish if he's yeah, out in Shelton <laughs> right no kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, no, no disrespect to Shelton we yeah. love all the Sheltonites um yeah. but yeah they uh yeah I, I thought that was crazy but it looked like so much fun uh going going indoor skydiving Looked let's like get blast, you out there man. bro i know there's one right well up here you know i thought about that but you know what you're like six what six two six four six four <laughs> i think you're on dude why do we have to do this ask matt he helps me get up at the standing table no but i think i think you're too big i, I think probably there's, am. Th- there's a, why like, are we having a hating on big people right now i'm not but i i think that's the problem with so that saying brandon yeah. who's like six seven yeah i don't think you can get in there i think there's a weight and height limit so hey i'm six eight yeah, because I've don't been want measured, unlike you. And stuff all around, so. Brandon. One time, you know, there. <laughs> speaking of accessibility, yeah. My uh, my one time I was turned away. Uh, we, me and me and uh, our friend Primo, we went to uh, the Seattle Center, and what was that fair they used to have there? Oh, what the was fun, it the Fun Forest. The Fun Forest. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So we we were gonna get on one of their like roller coaster rides but your feet hang down and it just happened to be me primo and another like somebody else randomly in line that was like six five six six and we all three got up there and they're like you guys can't go on this ride you're too tall and i just uh it, it was kind of embarrassing man to be honest uh and so not quite as bad as not being able to simply go into a grocery store <laughs> because your wheelchair doesn't fit but you know, uh, not being able to go on the fun forest. My one, my one uh, circumstance I can emphasize with or empathize with. <laughs> that's, oh, yeah. yeah, that's funny, man. Um, yeah, but I, you know, um, getting back to Dane, I wanted, I thought it was really good. Like he, he really, you know, gave us some good information about what, what the biggest kind of hurdles are for traveling with a spinal cord injury yeah um you know what to watch out for like what to like research is basically is the biggest suggestion before you venture out on any trip um you know and and pack light you know he said that they if they're going a great distance because i mean really traveling anywhere from australia you're 
that's a hell yeah. of a journey, right? It's an island. So yeah, exactly. You're it? you're going. Uh, yeah, he said give give yourself these. Sometimes they give themselves an extra day um, at a layover somewhere, yeah. and yeah. And the other thing that I thought was interesting, which I would never even thought of, was um, making sure you have um, uh, medical supplies there that you could rent or borrow or whatever you need in case mm-hmm. you have a failure. Right. You know, that's right. that's pretty important. Well, that's what I always think about. Like, if I'm going to get on... Because I still haven't been on an airplane since I've been injured. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, like you said, I'm a big guy. Like, I think it'd be tough to, like, have somebody... Like, thankfully, your kids are big guys, though, and they've volunteered. Uh, so, I think we're going to go to Vegas next year. Oh, okay. Um, hopefully, you guys are coming, too. But, uh, yeah, we could do the podcast live from Vegas. Um, that would be awesome. Yeah, anyway. So, so yeah, I think uh, in the interview, I believe what Dane said, you know, uh, getting seated, you know, after, like, the shuffle and the getting in the seat, he said, you know, tossed in or something like a sack of potatoes or some some phrase similar to that, right? And I was thinking, oh, man, you know, that's... Well, I also yeah. just think about, like, when I'm traveling and I'm like, I better bring an extra pair of glasses in case I lose my glasses because I really need my glasses or I'm going to freak out if, I, if mine break. And I can only imagine when you're traveling in a wheelchair, one thing could break and could just be a nightmare. Right. Right. You know? I mean, yeah. Like what? Like he said, he, he they broke off the like brake on his um, the left side of his wheelchair when they traveled somewhere. But thankfully, he was able to go to the maintenance guy at the hotel he was staying at, and they were able to kind of rig something up for him just temporarily until. But I mean, yeah. If you're they, yeah. Like that. That was always the thing I heard when I was first in my wheelchair they were like be like the wheelchair salesman or whatever that was kind of helping me figure out which chair to go with was like you know if you travel be very careful because he's like i just saw you know they have the conveyor belt that they put luggage up onto the planes from the from down on the ground he's like i saw we they put your wheelchair on that too to get it up there he's like i saw it go up and it like was on there wrong and fell off like basically at the top of the conveyor belt so basically just fell free ruined from 30 feet up in the air whatever it is 25 feet up in the air just smacked on the ground and yeah and then what yeah exactly what do you yeah and then you're i mean yeah they're gonna buy you a new wheelchair yeah but they don't have one there for you no and how long am i gonna have to sit and you know i'm going if we go to probably go lay in a bed and then you complain that your your wheelchair was gone and if you went to australia they probably just say i'm sorry a dingo ate your baby oh man we're not we're not gonna uh we're not gonna hate on the australians they're great people man jay i want you to touch on one thing else that was just kind of briefly said in the podcast what was that um or maybe you can elaborate a little bit on this but i think maybe like always not always in your time being in a wheelchair were you like so down to go out and do things right and i know you were like he doesn't want to use the word inspire but when you see people that are like just doing whatever it takes to get out and just make the best of the situation how how did that did you really consider it inspiration or yeah of course man yeah i I think that that um i'm i'm very uh inspired by people that are that don't like let this injury get them down and yeah like i i was definitely that person for a lot of years like i didn't really 
uh, want to go out and do, like you said, like, I mean, I would go to a concert here and there, like, go to yeah. movies and stuff like that, but I wasn't, like, really doing anything. I wasn't, no. you know, like, and I think that's big to, you know, like, these guys on YouTube and stuff, like, the, the Cross family, and, like, I'm so, like, self-conscious anyway, like, I'm not trying, I hate, like, being on video, like, I... I hate my voice. I don't like having to edit back these podcasts. Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, you, get, you just got to do, you got to do you things, You got to get man. used to your own skin, bro. Exactly. Yeah, no, and I, and I think that's like yeah. what this, uh, yeah. what what he's helping. I think it's very cathartic. Absolutely. And, and, Absolutely. and like when people like the Cross family are, are doing this stuff on, on social media and showing people that it's possible and it's not easy, but like we're going to do it. But, right. Well, what I liked was I, I think he said in England was it England where the taxi cabs were. Uh, yeah, I was, and that's basically like my yeah. my van is like very similar to yeah. an English yeah. taxi cab. So. Yeah, where where he had room and he didn't feel yeah. like he had to ride in a cattle car away yeah. from exactly. everybody, you know, which was really cool. So that was that was nice to hear, you know. And I was thinking, why can't we do that like in America, right? right. For people, that's... I know that you probably have to, you know, you probably in the past have ordered like a dart van, right? For like medical appointments. I mean, down, and stuff down like that. here, like for uh, inner city transits, like our local transit company, yeah. they yeah. have a dial lift yeah. that you can get on like the small bus or whatever that just comes to pick you up and take you. Where yeah, you but you go. feel like a refrigerator, don't you? Yeah, it's because because like the guy's not trained bu- or anything, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, getting off the bus at the like at places. It's a whole like, ordeal. Yeah. yeah, and it's kind of like you're like the everybody's like looking at you yeah. while you're getting like off of this big oh, ramp. Yeah. And they got flashing lights and buzzers, yeah. and they pull you right up to the front, bro. You're right. like, can you park in the back, bro? And let me off or yeah, what? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But, but they're not trained. They're not trained for, like, a medical emergencies either. And, and it sounded like um, they had a, a, a more professional um, driver situation in, in England. Yeah. I think is what he was talking about. Right, exactly. So, yeah, it sounded, yeah, that sounded great. And I was always, like, I, I know my dad traveled uh, around Europe a little bit after my accident. He was just like, it would not work for you at all. Like, the, the roads and the... The sidewalks are all like cobblestone yeah. in a lot of places, and because he wanted to keep all the nightmare. chicks to himself, yeah. you just have to go to certain <laughs> places. Gonna, yeah, he just didn't want to have to get me into a goddamn plane seat. I think yeah. take me with him, but uh, no, that, that I, I just always remember hearing that 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 the, that Europe in general was really tough. Well, to you know, older older parts, you know, older, you know, if you yeah. go out, you know, but to, I mean, yeah, Dane yeah. made it sound like it was even better than Australia, which I yeah. figured would be a much yeah. easier place to travel in. So yeah, yeah it's, uh, well, I think it's great. Cause he's got little kids and he's a very active father, you know? Um, I mean the whole story about going to the beach, uh, I think he said they laid down beach mats so he could take his wheelchair out. And then yeah, the last thing he had the, the little track that he, yeah, know, but you got so, the freedom tracks. Like, yeah. And then uh, one of the pictures he sent me to post with the podcast is a picture of him because they have these uh, wheelchairs that have like these huge tires on them that you yeah. can actually go into the water with. Yeah, that's what I was and wondering if that would so be he cool. So had, he had used one of those at, one, yeah. at some point because yeah. he, he sent me a picture. So. But yeah, can you imagine like being a kid from Australia, like a 21-year-old kid from Australia that's probably grown up surfing and being on the beach and you know your entire life to not be able to do yeah. that anymore? Like that would be tough, man. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that... that Things like freedom tracks and the um, that he's able to like cruise around on the beach by himself with, and then also the the wheelchairs that can go into the water. Um, well, other than the wheelchairs, it would be cool if those there. freedom tracks were submersible, right? That would be cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, 
Gen 2 Freedom Track. Gen 2, alright. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, I just Musk. wanted to, I wanted to do a you gotta do it all. No one else I, will. I wanted to do a quick RIP that I heard this morning. I couldn't believe that, um, so there was this, there was an R&B group in the early 90s that me and Brandon are both huge fans of. Well, uh, Jeremy. I, mean, I, I was, I, I'm sorry, man. They have like four songs, bro, that I love. I know, actually, Jay was like are, uh, a really... A big I'm time a night. Of, uh, he loved New Edition, man. Oh man, he loved the New, New Edition. Yeah, he still has. He the even liked the. He Doesn't even, he have the poster still above his I bed? Don't have the he even liked the New Edition after Bobby Brown. Like he, he oh, was yeah. like, let's go, let's let me buy this CD. Oh, you mean when they added Johnny Gill? And, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not hating. I thought it was dope too, but I'm just saying, like, you were on it. Anyway, high five. Um, they had a couple like big hits called like I like uh, I like the way. And then in parentheses, the kissing game yeah, it's yep. called. And uh, they had a few few great songs. Um, they weren't a big, they weren't a great band, but they were good. Anyway, uh, Roderick Poo Clark of of High Five died on August seventeenth, and I didn't realize he was actually injured in an like I guess the whole group got in an automobile accident in Florida, like uh, in ninety two, like when Crazy. they were still like in the middle of their their run off of their couple of like hit songs. And he was paralyzed from the neck down, and I couldn't find any information about him though. But he, I guess he died at their like they're all from Waco, Texas, and he uh, died there um, on August seventeenth. So, uh, you know, rest in peace to him for sure. Yeah. Um, well, rip poo, man. Yeah. So. Well, go check out. Go give him some streams, dude. Yeah. The cross give his family. family some money. Oh yeah, yeah the cross family, family too. Family. Yeah. Yeah, give but them go, some spins too. To some YouTube, high five, high five, uh, high five music videos from the early '90s. They'll at least put a smile on your face, I'm sure. And yeah, definitely check out the Cross Family Adventures. And we will be back next week, guys. Yeah, you know what, Jeremy? Now that you brought that up about high five, your mind works in mysterious ways for me. <laughs> <Just something like laughs> yeah. Why is that? I gotta hear what? What? I mean, you just. You know, 1990? Yeah. I mean, that was last century, bro. <laughs> I know. I couldn't believe this guy. And he was only 49. That's the other yeah. thing. I was like, damn, man. These guys weren't that much older than we were. Oh, no. They were, only like no, they were, they they were pretty like young when they got on. They were. Yeah, he must have been 17 I think the youngest one in the group was like actually only like 13 or 12. Could be. But, yeah, anyway, that's that's tough and they've had like four I, I went on a deep dive man they've had like four iterations of the group like they came back yeah in i mean 2007 and then 2012 or i don't know it's crazy but they uh and like a bunch like three of the five original members are dead what? no sorry two of them are dead and one of them is in jail for murdering dang it sounds like a masterpiece oh, song now dude crazy yeah so anyway all right until next time thank you again to uh, Dane Cross, I appreciate your time and, and coming on the show and, and sharing some uh, accessible travel tips with us and, and some of your, your adventures that you've been on. And guys, I will be back next week with another great guest and yeah. talk to you all then. 